Welcome to the Matt Hassler podcast. My guest today is Camilla Stark. Camilla is the author of a book called The Art of Imperfection, which is a book I've really enjoyed reading slash um, working on because it is not just a normal book. It's actually a series of uh, creative exercises designed to teach self-compassion, which Camilla describes as self-kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So today we're going to have a discussion with her about what those things are, how they can affect us, how they can help us. I think it's a pretty important topic. Also, I'm a big fan of her art. She has a lot of uh, religious symbology in it and uh, had, had an art show actually last week that unfortunately I wasn't able to get the recording out in time, but we'll have links to all of that and discuss all the details of that. So let's get going. No. Camilla Stark. Hello. Thank you for coming on today. You're welcome. It's a pleasure to meet you for the second time. <laughs> we did meet once. You remember that, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, of course I do. Here in this very podcast studio. Yes, that's true. How did you stumble onto this? So I was taking the bus uh, down the street, as one does. And um, I noticed this weird little kiosk thing that I've seen turn in from one store into another over the years. Suddenly it had a new illustration on the front it said the stone sheba and there's a picture of a dog and i was like what is this and so of course i just went on to instagram and searched it and sent you a message and was like i have no idea what you're making but i just i want to know what it is because i just like to know about local goings on so well that's that's it just riding the bus you have a curious mind basically i like to think so okay well cool yeah i'm glad you found it and then so just for the listener what happened is Camilla contacted me through Instagram, right? Or did I contact you first when I uh, saw you following me? I don't know. I forget how it worked. I just, I, I somehow saw, I think I was following your um, Instagram feed, which by the way, I became immediately obsessed with and have continued that obsession. And I'm not just saying this to try to like create something to talk about here. I can't tell you how many times I've, my wife has had to deal with me being like, dude, I'm weirdly obsessed with this girl. <laughs> Look at her stuff. It's so You're not the first one. It's so different. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad there's more people that are like and I've noticed it seems like you're creating more of a presence online and and you've got a following of people that definitely love your artwork. And I just like it because it is so different. In a combination with your book, you hit on a couple of core ideas that we'll talk about that happen to be core ideas that I've been really committed to or not committed to but forced to think about mm-hmm. a lot the last mm-hmm. few years. Mm-hmm. And so then as I started following your, uh, your Instagram, I noticed you had this book called the art of perfection. Imperfection. Imper- I'm sorry. The art of imperfection. Well, there's the first imperfection of the podcast. There we go. Uh-huh. I want to dive into two things today, mainly. Okay. One, <clears throat> your book, the art of imperfection, and also your art, which is very religiously symbolic. And you can maybe argue that if that's not true. No, it's if, true. if that's me, okay. It's true. Which I love. Thank you. And I think is very important, especially in today's climate. I think it's always been important, but I think it's even more important now. And I'm curious what your take on why that is. Sure. But before we get into those two different things, can you give me just like a brief, I mean, you don't need to give me like your entire 
I don't need to know like what you weighed when you were born, any of that. <laughs> so, Just a little quick synopsis. Of absolutely. It. Okay. Wow. Little Camilla synopsis. So I'm Camilla Stark. Grew up in Colorado. I was the weird kid for sure. But when I came to college, I, I came to BYU in Provo and... Real quick, when you say sure. you were the weird kid, when did did you notice that? Um, and at what age? Ooh, honestly, I didn't truly notice it until like eighth grade because I was just doing my thing. Like, in, I remember in third grade very clearly, I like dressed up as American Outlaw Jesse James on a day that wasn't Halloween, just at school because I thought he was cool and we learned about him in class. And so I came to class dressed as a, as an outlaw and I had like the bandana over my face and everything. But this was just. This was just what made sense to me, so I did it. And then I just remember, you know, one day in eighth grade, and, you know, this is all very dramatic because I was in eighth grade, but I just looked around. Yeah, we all get it. We've yeah, been. okay. Yeah, we were all there. We were all there. Um, it's the worst two years of yeah. anyone's life. <laughs> yeah, I just looked around at, like, my classmates, and I was like, I'm way weirder than these people. Like, I don't understand what they're doing. They don't understand what I'm doing. Um, so I kind of I kind of got a little bit bitter for a while. But eventually I kind of learned it's really important to embrace who you are and emphasize that, honestly, which I can get into more when we talk about my book. But if you if you emphasize the things that make you different um, and unique, then that instead of trying to just normalize yourself, that really lets you stand out and that lets you create things and make an impact that no one else can can create. Okay. I interrupted you. Yeah. So I was just wondering like when you noticed that. So then yeah, sure. now high school. Hits. Okay. Yeah. High school. Uh, I came to BYU um, and I studied industrial design, which man, I'm trying to figure out how like much detail to go into. Well, just anything you think that really impacted yeah. kind of, uh, you know, some of the things we're going to talk about and just who you are. Okay. Yeah. Let me, let me, let me back up then. When I was in high school, I knew that when I came to college, I would have to choose either arts or academics because, you know, those are two things I, I loved both of them very much. And I knew I'd, I'd have to choose one day. And then I ended up studying industrial design, which um, really perfectly combines the two. Um, industrial design is uh, the design of physical objects. So, you know, whether it's a water bottle or a laptop or a chair or a car, but it, it does a beautiful job of combining artistic and creative things with critical thinking because you have to make something that works really well for the user that you're designing for. So I studied that and the art of imperfection was actually the result of my senior thesis um, in the design program. But I graduated in 2017, tried to leave the state because, you know, I was trying to move on and, and like seek personal growth elsewhere by throwing myself into new experiences. Mm -hmm. But Nothing was working out. And so in the end, I was like, you know what? Gosh darn it. If I got to live in Provo, then I'm going to live in Provo. So at that point, I sort of threw myself into local arts and culture and just being really more involved in the community. And that has been super rewarding. And now I have no intentions to leave anytime soon. So, okay. Yeah. So what, why did you want to leave in the first place? So um, in 2016, before my senior year, uh, I did an internship in Germany um, with mm. a design firm called IDEO. Okay. And um, it was a huge growth experience for me. I was gone for four months, but I felt like I had just gained years of knowledge and experience. And I had to be brave a lot and I had to do difficult things a lot and I had to do it all by myself. And so I just really felt like I grew a ton during that experience. But then when I came back, it was suddenly like, oh, I'm just back here in Provo. And, you know, people love to rag on Provo. 
and sure it's not perfect but i i guess i was kind of getting into that i was like oh here i am stuck in provo when i could be in munich germany so i was like well i gotta move somewhere cool i gotta move to seattle or portland or somewhere you know Mm -hmm. um but in the end that wasn't the right thing for me so yeah so yeah okay and i i do love it here you no no thoughts of going back to colorado i don't know no yeah it's just i built my own life here you know colorado was a great place to grow up but there's a lot going on here in like the tech industry and uh this is where my friends are so here i am yeah i've been here since i was six and it is not the same city or state i'm sure bizarre (laughs) to see the changes okay so industrial design you decided that at some point, obviously, like what, a couple years in, that that was going to be your main focus. Mm-hmm. And that ended up being what you wrote the book from. Tell me how you bring, you kind of explain it at the end of the book, a little bit. The question, right? Do I? I don't remember what I wrote back there. It was a while ago. Let me read from your canon. Oh, man. Let's see. This book began with a question. Can objects help us grow into better people? After a long meandering search involving voodoo dolls, Viking funeral kits, and glowing orbs, which, by the way, are some of the more fun and interesting <laughs> exercises in this book. I decided the answer was yes, but that this object had to be a book. So, yeah, let me explain a few things about design and about how I kind of got here. So, industrial design uses thinking principles called design thinking. It's like problem-solving principles, basically deeply understanding who your user is, um, and then creating prototypes, just little kind of guesses, educated guesses uh, that are very tangible, and then testing those on people, seeing what their reactions are, making refinements to your direction or to the prototype, and going from there. And um, you can really use this thinking method, not just for physical products and seeing if they're ergonomic or that sort of thing, but you can use them to design anything. You can design digital products, of course, you can design um, experiences, you can design how people interact with each other, you can design anything. Um, and so IDEO, the design firm I worked at, um, is one of the big pioneers of design thinking and using it in any context. So my internship there really helped solidify that for me. So when I came back to school uh, to work on my senior thesis, that was the question I started out with, because we were supposed to start with a question. And my question was, yeah, can objects make us better people? Um, I was interested in, you know, exploring our relationship with physical things, but it kind of veered from there, you know, as I was doing research um, around the question, I discovered this concept of self-compassion and it just seemed like a really big, it was a big light bulb moment for me. It just seemed like a really big answer to a lot of problems I was seeing um, in myself and others with anxiety and depression and just mental illness and stress and perfectionism. And so, so what I did was I, I came up with as many creative ideas as I could. How could you help someone increase self-compassion? Right. And I started with things like, making voodoo dolls of my friends and giving them the doll and saying, Hey, talk to this doll nicely every night for a week. Then we'll talk about how it went and I'll see what I can learn from that. And so I did a bunch of these different experiments, um, just made them very, very tangible. Um, and just tried to draw the principles out of, out of them based on how people reacted. Um, and then I was able to kind of build those underlying principles based on, on the experiments I was doing and create, principles that guided me into designing the book. And, you know, I tested a ton of different concepts. You know, I had the book concept pretty much from the beginning, but then I I tried other things like uh, this one concept with like this glowing meditation orb. 
a concept that was like a board game that you would play with your friends and family members, um, all sorts of stuff like that. But, you know, after testing these different concepts with a lot of people, I, I settled on, on the book because it's, it, it's very, uh, approachable. Everyone knows what books are, what journals are. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the fact that it's physical instead of an app, I found a lot of research about, our interactions with the physical world creating greater mental impacts. Um, so like, for example, if you have two pieces of paper, if you, or if you have a piece of paper and you write um, a bunch of positive things about yourself on, uh, on it, fold it up, put it in your pocket, um, you're more apt to believe those things than if you just left the paper there. And then likewise, if you wrote down a bunch of negative things about yourself, tear them up and throw them away, you are less likely to believe those. Uh, and it's that physical element that actually makes a difference in your brain because, you know, we are physical beings in a physical world. It's easy to forget that in the digital space that we live in. But ultimately, I wanted to embrace that physicality. And so I, I made this into a book. That's cool. So one of the things I like about it, I had two thoughts that I hope aren't so far apart sure. that it screws us up. Sorry, I talked a lot. <laughs> no, 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 you're good. Um, but one, yeah, I asked both these, see if maybe they tie together at all. But one... Do you see some of the dangers? I'm even curious if this is something you guys studied, some of the dangers with, I mean, what you're effectively doing when you're talking about designing to like create the best product or or products that change people essentially is you're in a small way playing God, right? Hmm, Interesting. Because when you think about it, the way you design a chair is going to affect the way that person sits in it, Hmm. how long they sit in it. And, And for sure that can improve their experience, right? But- Maybe it improves it so much that now they're reading too much. I mean, that's a chair. That's not a big deal, right? Right. That's a simple thing. I love a well-designed chair. (laughs) But you kind of fast forward that same principle to what Facebook's doing right now, what they're constantly in the news for. And they're really not, if you want to try to take the side of, you know, Zuckerberg or these guys, what they're saying is, hey, we're just taking the data. We're just studying what you guys want to do and giving you more of it. You know what I mean? We're learning your behaviors and we're giving you more of it. I'm not suggesting that's what you're doing. No, 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 totally. Yeah, no, I have a lot of thoughts about design ethics, actually. Um, So that's the perfect way to put it, design ethics. Yeah. Is that something that is discussed? It is, yeah. So um, my boss at work, her name's Mariah Hay. She's very interesting. You should talk to her. Um, But she, so I work at Pluralsight currently. Uh, It's a technology learning company um, and I'm a UX designer there, but my boss Mariah talks about design ethics a lot. Basically, yeah, design can change behavior. And that's a huge um, responsibility that we have. And I think a lot of companies are misusing that responsibility right now for the sake of money. And people are being hurt because, you know, if you design experiences to be addictive, mm-hmm. that's not good. Um, and that's something I think that design as we as designers should refuse to do and like stand up against. And, you know, especially if it's, if it's going to be detrimental and you know what you were saying about Facebook saying, Oh, we're just giving people what they want. People don't always want what's good for them. In fact, people usually want what's not good for them, but then it, it brings up questions about, you know, who am I to decide what you can and can't do with your time, right? Yeah. Oh, it can certainly, yeah. there's, it's a rabbit hole. Right, right. Yeah. And I, I'm, 
I've never thought of it before as playing God. So that's very interesting. But, and yeah. I, I feel like it is like, let me give you an example here. Actually, sure. where's my phone? So do you use Android? No. Or, okay. You're Okay. So I'm Android. Although I'm getting a little upset with Google lately. Well, I'm upset with Apple. So <laughs> yeah, they're all the worst. <laughs> um, they make cool products. So check this out. It used to be that when I'd swipe over from my main screen, okay, I would get this, mm -hmm. my news telling me about my day. Mm -hmm. Unbelievably useful. Cool. Like, greatest thing ever. Oh. It was one of the things that made me stick with them over ever considering move, mm -hmm. moving to Apple because I could, I had all these options. I can make widgets of calendars mm -hmm. as big as I mm -hmm. want. So whatever is important to me, yeah. they give me the ability to do uh -huh. it. And then when they gave me the ability to just swipe over and see my planned day, the way I planned it, that again, that's helpful. It's taking what I want to do and enhancing it. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, suddenly this change comes along and obviously it's for money. Now, when I swipe over, well, Oh, so before you would get all of your, your schedule, all that. And then below that was a news feed, right? Mm. Which to me was like, they're sneaking it in. Cause you're going to be scrolling down. Then you're going to see it. But that's like, I don't know. That's a middle ground thing. It's like, I, I get it. They've got to push their news feed. Right. Now you swipe over and it's just the news feed. Right. Uh. And I don't have, like, I've got to hit that button in uh -huh. order to see my day. And the fact of the matter is I don't do it nearly as often. Yeah. I am probably, you know, a lot more in control of trying to tell myself to do that stuff than other people. Mm. Um, just based on the fact that I have so much crap to do with running all my restaurants. I'm not saying I'm, I'm probably actually way worse. Naturally. I've just have been forced, you forced yourself. Yes. Yeah. So, so I know there's a lot of people that now just no longer ever use that feature. Yeah. And all they do is they get, and it is, you know, it's Google. So yeah. they're learning what I like. Oh man. And these, this newsfeed every single day gets more entertaining. Like, <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, there's seven different Zelda hacks. Like that person has a torch that they just flew across the entire land of Hyrule while it was lit. <laughs> I'm way into like Breath of the Wild. And there's four stories about this. Right. And then on top of that, everything I'm interested, they've just curated it so perfectly. I can't stop myself sometimes mm -hmm. until I have to like leave. But that's the things I'm talking about. I think the fix would be give me the option to switch it. Yeah. Just give me the ability mm -hmm. to say, no, let me go into the setting. I'd rather see this first, but they choose not to. Uh -huh. It's not an option. I don't see them making mm -hmm. one anytime soon because it's been so successful. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it's an accident either that that change came right around the time that they, did you know that their, uh, their slogan used to be, don't be evil? What? They changed it? It's Yeah, that's officially oh. not it anymore. Oh, oh and I think man. Was, my guess is it was right when they decided to do that. That was the that was the tipping point. They were like, sorry, guys. Yeah. We're going super evil. Like, <laughs> we're controlling your news feed, which means we're mostly controlling your mind oh, now. Oh, man. Kind of crazy stuff. But yeah, that's the stuff I think about when I think about uh, the ethics of design. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. There needs to be a... Hippocratic oath. Yeah, that's what for that's designers. What, that's what Mariah uh, says slash is proposing. You'll have to talk to her about it. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah I, I would love to. I just think options is the main mm. thing. I think as long as people are willing to, especially with software that's recording your stuff, I think options fixes it. The other thing, the other thought I had too of what I loved about that it was a physical book is I do think as people find out that their data is not always being treated mm. with respect, writing inside of a book that I have control of 
and that's not my personal thoughts aren't being set out to yeah. somebody, mm-hmm. some data server, I think it gives you the ability to open up a little bit more. So I think you nailed it is what I'm Thank saying. You. I think it's a good idea to go with that instead of an app, even though the app probably would have been easier to circulate. You know yeah, I mean? but ev- everyone makes apps. It's kind of boring. You it know? is. Not everyone designs a book. So thought I would do something different. We're back in that loop. I'm going to ask you a couple questions about sure. the book that I just things I noticed. I noticed there's a lot of, well, one, you've got like the fun voodoo things we mentioned. Right. And it sounds like you just kind of tested out a bunch of fun stuff. And Yeah, it was kind of funny because usually for design projects like that, you test a bunch of prototypes and they end up just kind of disappearing. You know, they're like, oh, that doesn't work. That doesn't work. You know, we learned something from it, but it doesn't work. Let's just like put it away. But the fun thing about this was that because I have all these small activities that you can do, I was like, hey, remember those weird experiments I did a few months ago? I'll pull them back out and make them into into activities in the book. So that was kind of a nice little like bow tie on the end there, uh, full circle sort of so thing. So were, con- were you very concerned about the actual activities or was it more of just the idea of they just, you know, people need something to like so what knock I, up against and test themselves, right? Um, well, what I did was, so um, self-compassion is comprised of three kind of areas. Um, I don't know if that's the right word, but basically it involves mindfulness, self-kindness, and common humanity. Uh, mindfulness is accepting what your thoughts and feelings are without trying to avoid them or dive headfirst into them, but being like, this is how I'm feeling right now. Mm. And that's it. Um, Self-kindness is exactly what it sounds like. It's being kind to yourself. And then common humanity is recognizing that everyone struggles and everyone has problems and it doesn't make you defective to struggle and have problems. And so what I did was when I was designing these activities, they had to cover at least one of those three. and the other thing I, I did uh, that I learned from my research is that I needed them to be very low barrier to entry mm-hmm. um, and like be able to do them, you know, in one sitting or in one day. Um, because especially with depression, it's very, very hard to be motivated to do anything, let alone extraneous self-help stuff that may or may not actually help in the moment. And then I wanted them to just be very approachable and fun and something anyone could do, you know, nothing that you had to be a certain age to understand or a certain gender to understand, just mm-hmm. something anyone would feel comfortable and excited doing. Yeah, and it's pretty, uh, I had my daughter do some of them just Oh, for fun, fun. nice. And she's nine and she got it. Good. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the cool thing is those same exercises were ones that like me or my wife as we tried them. Do you remember which ones you had her do by, by chance? So, I mean, some of them, they were some of like the more simple ones, yeah. like drawing out uh, how she felt the... Uh, a lot of them were like the drawing ones. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah. Um, drink your feelings. Oh yeah. That one, that yeah. one. It's a fun one that for one kids, is... but dude, this is eye opening for a child. Yeah. To so, just think of these things in terms of something so simple as a piece of fruit. Yeah. I know it, it sounded very weird to me. Oh, totally. No, for the audience who's not looking at the book, uh, the drink your feelings activity gives a different fruit for different emotions. Like, I don't know, strawberries for anger or something like that. And then you're supposed to say, hey, what am I feeling right now? Throw those together, make a smoothie, and just accept all of your emotions by putting them in a smoothie. So that one that one was the mindfulness one. Plus, you know, it's good to get nutrition. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of good things. Well, And the thing is, it's like, I know there would be people, because this is how the world works, right? If you were to put this on YouTube, you'd get like, what, 97% hate comments because it's the worst people on the planet. What? <laughs> You, do you ever read YouTube comments? No, oh, I, I generally avoid YouTube. YouTube and Twitter are just like Oh, yeah, I'm on um, Twitter. It's bad. 
I think it's because the people who would enjoy the exercise, I think those people would enjoy it is what they don't get. Mm. What they think they're looking for something magical. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they're not realizing that like, maybe stupid isn't the word, but who cares if it's stupid? Like if it's stupid and, and as you're doing it, you're laughing about it and you're like, this is so dumb. This banana does not represent, but it does because you're <laughs> saying it does. Right. I, so I like, I get what you're doing here. Symbolic you know I mean? cognition. Yes. Yes. It all awesome. ties together. So yeah, she did the voodoo one. Uh, she kind of skipped through. There's a bunch right, of them that are just right. randomly done throughout here. Yeah. Okay. So what you just, you might've answered my next question is the one thing I noticed was a really strong theme throughout here. Like here's one crowned with laurels. Think about one of your personal heroes, someone you admire a lot. It can be someone you know personally or someone you've never met. Write about a challenge that person has faced and overcome or a challenge that they are currently facing. There's a lot of exercises that are about putting yourself in the shoes, mind, life of someone else mm. watching. There's there's a people watching one, mm -hmm. which is funny because that's just something me and my wife always joke about. And nice. it's fun to do. It yeah. really is. Or if you are looking at yourself look you're looking at yourself in a different perspective like i think you suggest every time frame possible past present yeah write a letter to future. your past self your yeah. present self your future self so there's a lot mm -hmm. about getting out of forcing yourself to get out of your own perspective and specifically into the shoes of somebody else uh -huh. and start thinking about it so i was wondering like from your take yeah so that ties back to the common humanity aspect of self-compassion where understanding that everyone's a human being and everyone struggles, even people you think are incredible, even people who you think are like a god. No, everyone's just a person. And even the person you look up to the most is just a person and they struggle just like you struggle. So it's kind of an attempt to help you recognize um, that if you're struggling, it's, it's okay, everyone does it. And then also, yeah, you know, putting yourself in other people's shoes, being empathetic, getting outside of your own head can be really helpful. Um, one of the most effective things for treating depression, maybe not most effective, I'm not a scientist, I'm just remembering, you know, what I studied two years ago, but uh, is serving other people mm -hmm. um, and doing kind things for other people and getting outside of yourself. And that is really, really hard to do when you're struggling with depression because you just wanna lie on the couch and that's it. But if you are able to, you know, do something for someone else, it can it can really help you. And so a lot of, a lot of these activities um, are kind of, little nudges in that direction as well. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Here's a thought I had. You tell me what you think about this. So you had one, oh, it's this pink one, word of advice. Let me, let me pull it up so I can get this correct. Sure. So this page, this exercise is called a word of advice. Isn't it always easier to give a good perspective on someone else's problems? Kind of the same thing we mm -hmm. were talking about. Take a step back and write yourself a letter of advice and encouragement as if from a friend or a loved one. I don't know why the thought I had as I was reading that one was that like one of the things we're all taught growing up is treat other people the way you would want to be treated, right? Mm -hmm. The problem with that is I think that only works for people who are, that tend to be a bit self-centered mm. and a bit, uh, not, I don't want to say full of themselves, but for someone who already thinks a lot of themselves, you know, and they're, they're maybe not treating others good. That's great advice, right? Mm -hmm. But if you're talking to a group of kids or even teenagers or adults, half of them out there, that is not their problem. What their problem is, is that they spend all of their time treating other people the mm -hmm. way they would want to be treated. And they completely forget to treat themselves as if they are a person that they care about. Absolutely. 
And I feel like it should be obviously not illegal. <laughs> not not suggesting rounding people up for speech ever. But I think I think I think it would be a good suggestion to always whenever you say treat somebody treat other people the way you would want to be treated. I think that should always be followed up by and also treat yourself yeah. like you're mm. somebody that you love. That's great. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And I I feel like you kind of you get to that point. Mm-hmm. Is what I like about it. But that's my advice to people, you know, to people listening is that they always make sure because you might be talking to a person who is fantastic. I know so many people that just based on the way they were raised, maybe it's biological, they just tend to not care about themselves as much or they were raised to think that they're not worth as much. And so they spend all of their time doing for everybody else and they don't realize how much they're hurting themselves Mm -hmm. and even their ability to help others in the future Mm -hmm. by not stopping and saying, am I... Am I waking up and just thinking about them and never about myself? And does that work? Am I happy? You know? Yeah. It needs to be thought about. It's not a selfish thing when you're talking about, you know, ignoring yourself so much that you're destroying yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's a bigger problem than most people want to recognize. I think we all think that the main problem is just meanness mm-hmm. towards other people. I don't think it is. Yeah. People are often a lot harder on themselves than they are on anyone else. Here's a little story. So this was my Kickstarter video for, for the Kickstarter I did for my book a few months ago. So I had this friend and there was this job she really wanted and she didn't get it. And I said to her, wow, why did you even try? You shouldn't have even tried. Of course you're not qualified for it. Like how dare you think that you could even try to get that job? So this friend was me, of course. I would never, ever, ever talk that way to someone else, but I do it to myself all the time, right? Um, and yeah, that's kind of what this book is trying to get at is uh, noticing when you do that and and stopping yourself from doing it. And self-compassion is is really just about treating yourself as well as you treat others, you know? And it, it's it's kind of interesting if you take things that you would do for a friend who's struggling, even just saying something like, that sounds so hard, I'm so sorry for you, giving them a hug, you know, you could do that to yourself. You can like put your little hand over your heart and say, hey, you're going through a really hard time right now and it sounds really hard, but like you're going to make it, you know? And that, that like, that's, it's, it's a great thing. And you don't think to do it to yourself. You know, you don't think to be compassionate to yourself, but it, it honestly is a very effective way to help out with going through hard times. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think it's important to point out that I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong. I think the devil's advocate against some of this would be that people assume that when you're talking about self-compassion, what you're, what you're talking about is, you know, the whole self victimization mm-hmm. mindset. I think people mistake that like, well, well, you're telling these people that they're okay as they are. They don't need to improve. They don't need to, they need to view themselves as a victim of the world. No. Yeah. And I, th- I think they are, I think they're very different things. I do think that it's bad for someone who could be more to not realize that they could be more. Yeah. But, but this needs to come first. Right. They can't do that until they realize that they're worth taking the time to try to become something more. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess I viewed it as a step in that direction. Mm -hmm. But I I know a lot of people think of it that way. Yeah. The thing about self-compassion is um, that it kind of hits that sweet spot between pumping up your self-esteem and being like, I'm amazing and not really believing it and then falling flat. And 
that self-flagellation, self-victimization thing you're talking about where you're just like, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. It, it's, it's, um, so if you remember, I started out the whole project with the question, can objects make us better people? And I found self-compassion in some research about self-improvement and how increasing self-compassion increases people's like ability to self-improve because it puts you in a really balanced spot mm-hmm. where you are able to say, hey, I have miles to go and that's fine. And I'm going to do it instead of either just completely canceling yourself out and saying, why bother trying? I'm terrible. Or, or, you know, thinking that you're amazing and then getting super disappointed the first time you fall. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I had a conversation the other day, maybe this was on Facebook, I forget. Um, but I think another thing people fall into is they, they don't allow themselves to be happy with something that they are actually happy about. So maybe a job that is actually fulfilling to them, then they find out that somebody else doesn't think that that's quite enough. Mm. And that is, I think that's so poisonous because some, now that I think about it, yeah. What what specifically was the thing was we were talking about kind of the American dream and the way, Mm -hmm. uh, and this is a great guy, but the way he kind of described the American dream was as this slightly negative idea of people going after, you know, the house, uh, the family, uh, the good job and all that. And my point was, those are just simple tools to Mm -hmm. use. And they're not necessarily bad. I mean, if 80% of people out there can use those basic ideas as something to just like kind of orient themselves towards and that helps them move towards something that will make them happy or at least content in life. That's not a bad thing. I certainly don't think those things should be the end all be all of everything, but at least it's moving them in the right direction. So, but they're not better for wanting those things and you're not worse for maybe wanting mm-hmm. different things like maybe yeah. a job that doesn't pay as much. Mm-hmm. You're also not better for wanting different right. things. Yeah. It, it's just this idea of we're in such a weird spot in Hollywood where I'm so as much as I love all the X-Men type stuff of like, I have special powers, so I'm different, but I was kicked out of school because I was a reject and now I'm all powerful. It's like, it's almost just like reversing the problem mm-hmm. and yeah. making it. So now if you're not super different, then you suck. So we're just flipping it on everybody. Mm-hmm. And I, it's like, why can't we get to the point where we recognize that there's always going to be majorities Yeah, and there's always going to be minorities. Bell curve. And there's not a better or a worse. It, mm, there's a yeah, different and different. life just sucks without the different. Uh-huh. But the different don't have an audience without the majority. Huh. You know what I'm saying? That makes a lot of sense. I th- I just think there has to be a balance. Yeah. And, and we have to accept that mm-hmm. we have to start. I just think we have to start using words like different without having a negative connotation to it, mm-hmm. but also not having a positive. Mm. Well, maybe not positive, mm-hmm. but a superior. Yeah, yeah. It has to be that. that is just your role in life. Mm. That's what's good for you. Accept it. Don't let the people who tell you to go after the mainstream stuff, get you down, but also don't ever get to a point where you start looking down on them Mm -hmm. as, Oh, you just want to do something simple like farming and hanging out with your kid. Well, these days farming is like, like the different thing. It is kind of becoming. Yeah. yeah, Yeah. Well, because we're realizing that, we're mostly incapable of taking care of ourselves. We we need other people to do it. <laughs> and I think that, yeah, I think there's a bit of a resurgence of people going, oh, it is actually kind of cool to be able to self-sustain. Yeah. And that's a good thing. I think it's great. As long as it doesn't go so far to where we're saying, but anyone who doesn't do that is horrible. Mm-hmm. And it kind of 
It's easy on to both sides. That way. Yeah. People just always want to feel like the thing they're doing is the superior thing. Yeah. And I think the goal should be to say the thing I'm doing is not better than the thing you're doing, but also I refuse to let you make me feel like it's worse. Hmm. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sense. Yeah. No. So I, like I said, I love Provo. I love living in Provo. I decided to live in Provo, but people hate Provo. A lot of people hate Provo. And sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, should I also hate Provo because everyone else hates Provo? And then I have a little crisis and then I always get back to like, nah, I love Provo. <laughs> <laughs> but it's that thing. It's like, what, what's, what, what is everyone saying? about you and your life choices and how does that affect you? I think one of the things that, cause the thing, I think the thing that Provo gets a bad rap about is uh, obviously the dominant religion is Mormonism. And there's, and, and there's the idea that if you're not in the mainstream aspect of that, you're, you know, rejected from a lot of things. Like you can't live a normal life here. And, and for sure, to some extent, there's truth to that. But again, I think it's always important to compare ourselves to other areas where it's like, okay, even if it's like what, 75, 85% in Provo, mm -hmm. you know, Salt Lake is now below 50%, yeah. I think for the first time you compare that. In fact, I was just recently reading about, uh, Buddhism and I didn't realize how high, I mean, it's like 96% of all, uh, you know, uh, uh Southeast Asian countries. Really? everybody's Buddhist. Huh. In fact, I'm pretty sure that number I read was just Theravada Buddhism alone, which is just one strain of Buddhism. Oh, really? If you talk about Buddhism generally, it's everybody. Uh -huh. You talk about Muslim uh, parts of the world, it's 99%. Mm -hmm. So I think while we're over here like whipping ourselves for not being diverse enough, which maybe is fair, th there needs to be like a point where we stop and say, it's a lot better than a lot of places. Mm -hmm. You can be different. We have more diversity than we like to pretend we have. Probably a lot less than we should. But again, it's like a balance. You know yeah. what I mean? Things, things are changing here. Yeah. It's there's great. no point in getting too down on it. And there's no point in getting too up on it. I don't know. Yeah. I just like to always recognize that growth is possible. We're just being balanced. Yeah, yes. this is great. I'm a silver yeah. lining today. No. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie. I haven't, no. But just the concept of always finding a silver lining in something is, that's my... That is my bread and water of life. Anyway. Um, okay. So the next topic is your art. You got an art show coming up. You want to tell me a little bit? Oh, about yeah. That? <laughs> okay. Um, well, can I just say some final thoughts about the book? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Um, well, I don't know. Like, should I plug it? Like, plug the crap out of it. Okay. I'll put the link in the sure. podcast. Yeah. So everybody, I'll have a link to. You did a Kickstarter. Yeah, I did a Kickstarter in October for it. Okay. Um, and so you have copies available I now? do have copies available, yeah. I, I was trying to raise the quantity as much as I could so it lower the price so I could buy more so I could have them for years to come. Awesome. So I got a bunch on me. Um, if you go to art.imperfection, no, wait, art.of.imperfection.book on Instagram, there should be a link to it. I'll get that link from you. Yeah, Put it in the show sure. notes for sure. And I'm probably gonna make a website for it which i should have done months ago but i didn't so anyway that's life it's life it's imperfect <laughs> yeah anyway yeah you can get a copy it's 15 bucks awesome it's pretty fun yeah and seriously guys no matter what age you are no matter where you are in life i think even someone who's doing well and i mean everybody at some point in their life needs stuff like yeah. this i think sometimes you go through phases where you're good but even if you just we're doing this 
as a way to somebody somebody who's doing great in life who did this anyway would probably instantly think of somebody oh yeah who they could give this uh-huh. to who it would help immensely and it's fun enough and not so it's just not overbearing so i would feel comfortable giving this to somebody and not feeling like i'm uh like handing them a you know what i mean it is a self-help book in a sense yeah. right you probably don't like hearing that well the thing is i designed it exactly to be what you just said I, I i worked on that very intentionally to make it approachable enough that you could give to someone and it wouldn't be like i think you're struggling a lot and you could really right. use this but like hey this is a cool thing you might find interesting yeah so i'm really happy to hear that it's coming across yes yeah yeah there's a joke on uh what movie is that it's uh owen wilson and vince Vaughn, but vince Vaughn asks him he's like how you doing buddy he's like how am i doing i'm reading don't kill myself books oh and it's a joke obviously right but it proves a good point. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. That a lot of those books, <clears throat> mm-hmm. and maybe they're necessary, but I think a lot of them are just titled the way they are to sell mm-hmm. copies. You know what I mean? They're, they're trying to like, I almost feel like some of those are trying to keep people in the same place so they can be sold more books. Oh, man. I, I sure think there's an not. entire evil industry. Oh, I sure I'm a huge not. conspiracy theorist. I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe it's I'm Google. a good one, though. Don't be evil. Yes. They're, they're being behind. evil. That's Amazon, I guess. Oh, that it's Amazon. Okay, well. <laughs> Bezos, we'll blame it on him. All right. Sure. Okay, cool. Um, and yeah, if you have any more thoughts you want to get out before the end, I think I think it'll probably come back in as we just quick go over your art. The reason I wanted to talk about that is, so for listeners, um, what's your uh, Instagram? It's Camilla. Camilla Gla. C-A-M-I-L-L-A-G-L-U-H. Okay. Which I can explain if you want. Yeah, give me the quick. Because so, your name's Camilla Stark. My name's Camilla Stark. So I thought you'd have some sort of yeah, you'd Game so. of Thrones, oh, come on. Winterfell. <laughs> I'm joking. It's either that or the Iron Man. It's joke. certainly the first thing that. Oh, that's true. I, yeah. I suppose if you Googled Stark, you'd be Iron Man or Winterfell. Or if you're an industrial designer, there's Philippe Stark. Okay. It just goes on and on. But no, yeah. So my handle's Camilla Gla, which was the first username I ever had on the internet on Neopets.com when I was like eight years old. Wow. Yeah, and it's just like a silly sound I was making when my friend was helping me make an account. So she just typed out Camilla Gla, uh-huh. and um. I, I've just kept it as my handle because it reminds me not to take myself too seriously and it's just kind of goofy and it's a great conversation starter and there's also no one else out there named Camilla Glass so I don't have to put any numbers at the end of it because I hate numbers in handles. So mm. I'm Camilla Glass. Okay, real quick. Yeah. When you said Neopets, I just watched a documentary. Scientology? Yes. Yeah. Did you see that? I read an what article about it. Uh, I, I don't know. I read an article about how Neopets is actually run it's by not any longer oh it's not anymore but for a brief time it like the people who started it yeah kind of did i mean this group just approached them and wanted to invest and and then they figured out along the line oh crap we just got tricked into allowing scientology to take over neopets and they wanted to start integrating Ooh, it's pretty cool i mean yeah cool. you saw you read the article about i read it. the article yeah there, there's something on uh maybe it was youtube or it might have been Netflix. I don't know. But for anyone listening, if you just Google uh, Neopets and Scientology, especially if you know what Neopets were and used them. Oh, it was the best. It's crazy interesting. Yeah. It's like- Introduction to the internet. Oh, so cool. Actually, funny thing. I I remade my Neopets account last week. So Neopets is still going strong. It looks exactly the same. They have not changed the design of the website at all. And I was just cracking up. It was, it's so great. Yeah. So yeah, Camilla Glow's back on Neopets. That's awesome. That's an int- yeah. Neopets is its own thing, man. <laughs> okay. So anyway, so yeah. so uh, so your art, like I mentioned, it's very uh, 
you even describe it as goth. Uh, <laughs> folk goth. Folk goth, yeah. yes. What inspired all that, I guess, and what keeps you pushing that imagery? Is it just okay, something sure. you enjoy? Yeah, um, we'll see how this, I don't even know how to talk about this yet because it's still stuff I'm very much exploring. So we're going to see, maybe talking about it's going to help me figure things out. Yeah, so I did a lot of art in high school and I did not do a lot of art in college because I was extremely busy with industrial design. Um, but the second I graduated, I just had to spare time and I just started making art again. It's this impulse that I've always had and I can't not do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how do I talk about this? Yeah, so I really like birds is kind of where it all started. I just really like birds and you know, every now and then you come across a dead bird lying on the sidewalk. And that has always been really, really striking to me because it's this creature that you usually imagine flying through the sky and it's so free and it's so quick and it's so lively. And then here it is dead. And birds tend to die in very dramatic ways. You know, they smack against a window, their wings are splayed. The way their muscles contract makes their necks get cracked back all crazy looking. So I started drawing dead birds because I found the uh, juxtaposition and that, that contrast, that tension between what they are when they're alive, what they are when they're dead. I found that very compelling. And I also found them very visually interesting. You know, even though it's it's almost a bit of a taboo, like, oh, it's a dead bird, right? But no, I think they're beautiful. So, you know, I, I, I started drawing dead birds um, years ago. And, and recently when I got back into art, I started venerating them a little bit. So I started giving them halos. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was just again, kind of working with that dichotomy, that tension between what is generally considered sacred and what could be considered profane, right? You put a halo on a dead bird, but like, hey, those birds are angels, you know, figuratively. So I'm, I'm very interested in, in kind of that tension between dark and light and things that don't you don't usually expect to go together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I use mainly black and white. I do ink drawings on white paper and I do gold accents a lot of the time. I do a lot of things with like skulls and flowers. It's one of those, you know, dichotomies. And that's a very common image motif you see in a lot of people's art, but it's that death and life, that that dichotomy. Mm. Um, and I just think that when you put two things together that you think are opposites and you see what happens when they overlap, I think those intersections are very interesting. And so, you know, it's, I guess, a segue into my art show. So this Friday, I don't know when you're releasing this episode, but... I will try to get it out before Friday. Okay, cool. Because of the show. But if we don't, it is still going to be up. It's going to be up for a month. So so I'm having an art show that I curated and organized and am participating in. It's called Holy Hell, Peculiar Intersections of the Sacred and Profane. And I curated it with my friend who goes by Lazarus, who I'll talk about in a minute. And it's at Writ and Vision in Provo, which is a a bookshop and gallery down Center Street. And it's taking nine different artists who are, you know, either, uh, they're either, you know, Mormons or Mormon adjacent people who maybe at one point were and maybe aren't anymore, that sort of thing. Um, And who are all exploring what the concept of the sacred and profane coming together looks like in the context of Mormonism and specifically Utah. Mm-hmm. Um, Real quick, we do have, sure. because my podcast started as a movie podcast, I have a lot of listeners out of state. Oh. For people who won't be able to come, is there a place they can see a oh. lot of this? Hmm. Or or would it mainly just be following the handles Gee. of... Yeah, you'd probably want to follow the handles of all the participants. Okay, and if um, so, I can just 
Yeah. Because I know you have a link that has all of yeah, the artists on it. Yeah, I can give it. you them. Okay, yeah. great. So yeah, I'll just we got a that. lot of really talented people participating. I'll put that in the notes too. Yeah, and it's going to be up. It's there, There's an art opening, a gallery opening, an exhibition opening, whatever it's called, on this Friday from 6 to 9 p.m. It is going to be up for a month, but uh, it is by appointment if you don't make it to the opening. But yeah, I encourage everyone to check it out and see what that dichotomy looks like through the lens of a bunch of different artists. Um, but I mentioned, I mentioned this, this person, Lazaros, who I want to talk about a little bit, also known as Mormcore. So, uh, he's an artist who I met on Instagram because making friends on Instagram is my number one talent. That's also why I'm here today. Um, I, it's one I need to learn from you cause I am not good at it. <laughs> I don't know how it just, uh, it just happens. I can't explain. You made friends in the on Instagram. I know. So it's well, the, but that's clearly because you're good at it. Oh man, so. I guess. So anyway, this 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 account was following me for a while. Handle of Mormcore, M O R M C O R E, like Normcore, but Mormon. Get mm -hmm. it? Ha <laughs> ha. I do get it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I th basically this account was making vaporwave Mormon art collages that was combining religious imagery with pop imagery, and I was just obsessed with it. I was like this is so cool. And so I start talking to the artist and like, he doesn't tell me any, like, he won't tell me anything about himself. I was like, what's your name? He's like, I go by Lazarus. <laughs> Spelled like L-A-Z-E-R-O-S, yeah. laser O-S, Lazaros. I didn't know how to pronounce it. Anyway. Um, it, is this Banksy? Is this the, is this, it's like the Mormon Banksy. He's more, like the Mormon Banksy's Banksy. Mormon side. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. I mean, anyway, Very so cool. for months I'm like talking to this other artist slowly making friends he's gonna be listening to this and like cracking up later i'm sure of it but slowly making friends with this artist and then eventually one day he was like hey i'm gonna be selling art at the sunstone symposium you should come and i was like yes i've made it into the inner circle and yeah. so uh he and i um are collaborating on a ton of things right now but basically you know talking to him made me really think more about the role of using religion in art because it, it had never really been something i was interested in exploring before but you know, I, while having these conversations with, with Lazarus, I just, it just became more interesting to me. And I began to see art as an avenue to explore my spirituality and my relationship with my religion. And it's been pretty cool. Um, and again, this show is kind of an outgrowth of that. You've got to get some kickback. Some kickback. As far as, certainly there's a lot of people who find it inappropriate to use religious symbolism in pop art for like what you were mm. just describing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Taking it and twisting it. These are things that a lot of people, you know, th what they would say is, well, that's a very sacred image to me. Do you get a lot of that? Like, have you noticed it? Do, may, are there maybe just not a lot of people who would think that way, paying attention to this type of stuff? Yeah. I feel like it's definitely for a bit more of a fringe audience who finds that, you know, your typical like Arnold Freeberg, Mormon paintings just don't quite do it for them. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, maybe Lazarus has gotten more pushback than I have. You'd have to ask him. He'd be an interesting person to interview. I'm just plugging all my friends. And, he can wear a know. mask. Tell him. Oh, he has a mask. Yeah, he does actually. <laughs> uh, we both do. Anyways. Um, I've seen your mask. I'm after this, remind too. me to to talk to you about the city I have for this space. Anyways, okay. I lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, kickback. Yeah, I haven't really gotten any for my own art, I, I don't use established imagery as much. Mm -hmm. Um, I do things like draw Jesus as a sacrificial lamb, you know, which isn't that out there, but 
uh yeah i feel like i feel like like i i personally i'm very when i when i'm creating this art I, i'm not doing it flippantly mm-hmm. um it's it's very thoughtful and and i try to express that in how i communicate it when i share it and i think that people appreciate that because i haven't gotten anyone saying you shouldn't be drawing stuff like this mm-hmm. um you shouldn't be making stuff like this uh, actually i have gotten a little bit from my mom <laughs> I just realized (laughs) mom, if you're listening to this, I love you very much. (laughs) Who knows? It's tough because the saying is moms are always right, but I suppose, I don't know. Well, she just doesn't want her daughter like going off the deep end, you know? Well, and that's true. But I'm not. And, and, uh, so let me tell you what I think about this and you can tell me if you think I'm crazy. I think once a symbol, one, I love religious symbols specifically. Mm Mm-hmm. I love all symbol. All symbolism is great, but I love religious symbols, particularly because I just believe they're that they have a greater ability to express huge ideas very quickly. Mm-hmm. Right? This isn't anything new. Most people right. know this, even if they don't know it, know it. They inherently uh-huh. know it. Right? The problem then becomes when people decide that the ideas that expresses to me are the only things they can express and you are no longer allowed to use it Mm. to express anything else. Interesting. And so that's kind of the line on the one side. Mm -hmm. And then I think we need to balance between recognizing that, yes, you can take it too far to where it is offensive. And I think a lot of times people are purposely just trying to offend and be shocking to get attention. Yeah. And, And we do have to recognize that these are things that people hold sacred. But at the same time, the whole point of like the Christ story, for instance, is for those who believe in it, like quite literally, yes, certainly uh, the idea that that he died, you know, he, you know, in Gethsemane, he takes on everybody's sins, right? It's an amazing story to think a person would do that. And then he voluntarily, after making it clear, he would rather not go through with this. He voluntarily goes through with it, right? Well, you can talk, you can take the literal side of it and that's great. You can also say, I want to dig a little deeper into this. and And then you can learn things like, this is a person who's teaching me that the goal is to take on as much as you can in life, right? And do it because you are willing to do it, to not always do everything in life because you're forced to. In fact, maybe if you feel forced, you should rethink what you're doing. But to voluntarily say, I'm going to move forward with these things. I'm going to take on other people's burdens. I'm going to take on my own burdens and I'm and I'm going to move forward with them in life. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and when we forget to think about the, just all the ways we can, put these things into our regular lives, we don't do them justice. And I think it brings it out to a larger audience. And I think, I think literal believers need to be more open to the idea of allowing, because a lot of people, I think that, that tend to use the imagery differently. Mm-hmm. I'm not boxing everybody in, right. but I do think there's a large number of them who it's a big part of their life. They feel an affinity towards it. It's impacted them. They want to continue to use it, but then they kind of get told you're no longer allowed to use this mm. because you don't think of it exactly, exactly the way the we do way. over here. Yeah. Well, I think that brings up a really awesome thing about symbols and symbolism is that it can mean so many different things to so many different people. Mm-hmm. Just based on your upbringing, your paradigms, your experiences, you can put the same type of imagery in front of two different people or put the same story in front of two different people and they can get entirely different things out of it. And both of those things could be true or are true to the person looking at it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, I think we need to be open to the multiplicity of symbolic meaning. Yeah. Um, I think you literally kill the symbol when you attempt to prescribe one single um, meaning to mm -hmm. it. Like this is what it means. 
period. You're not allowed to talk about it or think about it anymore. You kill it. You make it worthless. I, I think we do need to stay within a certain box where we can't be, this is an extreme example, but you look at the difference between uh, what the swastika meant mm -hmm. before the Nazis took it over, yeah. you know, abundance, prosperity, good luck, things like mm -hmm. that used by, you know, all sorts of different cultures. And then obviously means, right. we, we all know what it meant after that. Yeah. Right. So I know that there's certainly like a, a level where you can't change it completely, but you also can't say to someone, you're not allowed to think of it that way because that just kills the whole mm -hmm. purpose of it. Yeah. This kind of goes back to what I liked about the book is human beings need something to grind up against. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And maybe that sounded <laughs> inappropriate. I'm not talking about other human beings, right? But we need things to like be constantly hitting ourselves against to find out how yeah. strong we are, mm -hmm. how much our ideas stick. And you can't do it any other way other than just taking something and then picking it apart. And maybe your translation of it, it's just awful, you know, but you'll find that out. Right. It's a prototype. Yeah. So there's, yeah, it's, it's this struggle and, but I think it's so cool. It's what I love about it. I love that someone else is going to look at it and I love that you can use it. Like we did a big graffiti wall at my Salt Lake restaurant. Cool. And my grandma, she loved like wheat symbols. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania Dutch people are very into like hex symbols, like the Amish. Oh yeah. You know? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've been studying that lately. Yes. And yes. my mom's from Lancaster. So we always had hex signs growing oh, up at really? my houses. Yeah. That's and, very cool. And I've got some cool ones and they're all very, very deep. Like they all mean different yeah. things. Yeah. But the wheat symbol it's just, it's this simple little thing. And I had the artist add it in uh -huh. and he actually, it's Yuli one, U-L-I underscore O-N-E. He's a local graffiti artist. I think he just moved, but super cool guy. Cool. Follow him on yeah, Instagram. Yeah, look him up. But he did my wall up there and I asked him just to add wheat symbols in. Uh -huh. And I just love the idea that I have this thing that connects me to her. Yeah. Even if nobody else knows, right. it connects me to her and it's just such a cool symbol. She's also, she was also like very into lighthouses. Mm -hmm. You know, she had light. And obviously there's so much you know, symbolism behind lighthouses. Yeah. But it's like, who cares if it's not the most important symbol on the planet? It's this cool little thing that you can draw it somewhere, you can set it somewhere, you can add it into art, and it connects you to an entire different generation mm -hmm. of people. Yeah. So I just love it. I think it's, it's cool. wonderful. And I think that's some of the stuff I've really liked about following you on, on Instagram is you do a really good job of allowing people to connect because I'm guessing people view it all very, very differently, right? I imagine. I can only view it from my own perspective. So who knows yeah. what other people are seeing. Yeah. Yeah. It's very cool. Thanks. Well, I'm trying to think. Let me make sure I don't have any other questions. I know you got to get out of here. I think that's about all I wanted to talk to you about. Did you have anything else about the show or about the book you wanted to... Hmm. Nothing comes to mind. I think right. we had a pretty good discussion. I think we did. Yeah. It was, it was excellent. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you for coming out. Yeah, so you, absolutely. Uh, You'll come back again later and, and talk about some more of this. Sure. I'd love Can I get to. a commitment from yeah, you? Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, we're going to try to do like what, an art show, something? We'll talk about oh, that. Oh, we'll talk about okay. it. Okay. Well, thank you. Everybody, follow Camilla online. I'll have all the links for all the things we talked about in the show notes. Um, also, please follow the Stone Sheba on Instagram, or you can go to the website to check things out. But follow on Instagram. It helps me. I'm not good on Instagram, and I've got like six podcasts I'm trying to help out. So I'm pleading for your help to help them out by following uh, the the Stone Shiva specifically and and sharing those episodes. We've got some really good podcasts on there, and we've got more coming. That's about it. We'll talk to you soon.